Hey listeners, before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to remind you that we have a podcast survey. We would love to have your feedback about the podcast, topics you'd like us to address, formats we should try, what you love about the show, what we can do better. The link is in the episode description. All right, on to today's show. Hey everyone, Libba Beecham here, director of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center, and I'm very excited to speak with our guest today about preserving local history. I'd like to welcome Peter Madruga, president of Habersham Education and Research, which is dedicated to preserving the rich history of Habersham County, Georgia. Habersham County is home to the cities of Cornelia, Clarksville, Tallulah Falls, Demarest, Mount Airy, Baldwin, and Alto. We're going to discuss some really cool local history projects, including a documentary that is premiering this Saturday, September 17th, with another showing on Saturday, October 15th of this year, 2022. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So before we dive into the projects, I'd love to know how you came to be involved with local history. Tell us about when your interest in history began and how did it take you to where you are today? It's a great story. Uh, my grandmother uh, came from Portugal and growing up, she had the most fascinating stories. And I just hung on her every word. And I believe that the influence she had on me about loving history and the stories about our family is what got me started. Nice. And so when did your interest in local history begin? Have Have you lived in Habersham County for long? I haven't. I was I grew up in San Diego and I was there for 42 years and uh, I started my own history company there that specialized in Portuguese history because we had a, a nice Portuguese community there. And when I moved out here to follow my mom, um, when her husband died and then she started a new life. We moved out here. But when I moved out here, there was no Portuguese community, but my love for history was still there. So I started a nonprofit organization to preserve Habersham's rich history. That's really awesome that you came from, uh, you know, outside of Habersham, but found a home here. And, you know, that's, I've had a similar experience where I, when I've moved to a new town, I've got to know <laughs> what it's all about and not only what can I do there, but what has gone on there for years and years. So I was super excited to get to know the history of Northeast Georgia when I moved to uh, Gainesville, and now I'm living in Athens, which of course has quite a rich history. I became familiar with Habersham County because it is a really beautiful area. I mean, this is situated in Northeast Georgia, of course, surrounded by the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. There's beautiful views, there's hiking trails, uh, wineries, apple orchards, museums, and a couple of colleges there too. So it's really got a lot to love about it. But Peter, maybe you could start with uh, Habersham's earlier history. Who were its first inhabitants uh, and who were its first settlers? And when did Habersham really begin as an official county? Well, I'd like to address first uh, your comments about its beauty and um, go back to Sidney Lanier, who wrote and included Habersham in the Song of the Chattahoochee. So uh, you can't go wrong there. Uh, in terms of, of the history here, boy, Habersham County uh, started in 1818 
and it, it was carved out of Franklin County. So uh, Franklin County was quite big, and uh, Habersham was carved out of that. And then later, uh, White and Stevens County was actually carved out of Habersham County. So we're smaller than we used to be. But uh, going all the way back to 1818, uh, recently we celebrated four years ago our bicentennial. Um, some of the people that came out of here, John R. Stanford is is one of the important people. And um, boy, so many names to name. Um, uh, Jarvis Van Buren is another big name. And you can see him in the old Clarksville Tem Cemetery, in fact. But uh, he was a groundbreaking character here. So uh, lots to choose from, as you can imagine, being 204 years old for the county. And Clarksville came along in 1823, five years later. And then you have to go all the way to 1873 for the second town, Mount Airy. And that happened because the train started passing through. It was the first time that the train passed through this area. Um, and I'll get into that a little later. Yeah, so it starts out with settlers uh, coming into the area around that time of, you know, 1818. They're getting, uh, now was Habersham County part of that land lottery system in its early days? How did settlers acquire the land there at first? I don't know. Oh, that's I, okay. That's fine. <laughs> no problem. I'd be making it up and I don't want to do that. Oh, no worries. No worries. You, you gave a, a great introduction uh, to its early history there. Uh, maybe you could talk about what were the early industries of Habersham? I mean, how did those early folks make a living? Sure. Uh, so uh, it, it varied depending on the town that you were in. In, in Demarest, for example, they had a, a saddle factory, um, the saddle shoe tree factory uh, by Edward Floor. They're in banking, actually, surprisingly, was, was early on here. It was one in 1900 called Cornelia Bank, and four years later, Habersham Bank came along. But before even that in Mount Airy, it had its own uh, bank, and the hotel industry was rather strong as well. In fact, there was one in Mount Airy called the Monterey Hotel, which uh, became quite popular once the train line went through there because people from Atlanta were trying to avoid the heat and malaria, and as to escape from it all, they jumped on there and they had a great time, and this hotel had bands that would play and there was dancing and uh, it was in its day, it was a, uh, it was a big deal. Yeah. So it seems like tourism has drawn a lot of people uh, to North Georgia since, <laughs> since like you said, the, the rail line was in there and, and the railroads really brought new life to the Northeast Georgia region, especially Habersham. Uh, and as your documentary talks about, in Cornelia, Georgia. Now, before we dive into the documentary, so Cornelia, can you tell us a little bit about that city in particular and why your documentary uh, focuses on this city? Absolutely. Um, to give you some background on it, in, right after the Civil War, there was absolutely nothing there. It was virgin forest. But um, shortly, a few years later, uh, the train line made its way right through there. And that, of course, people needed jobs and places to live. And that started civilization and uh it was the spark as if you will and uh 10 years after that a second train line came through and that really made it a booming industry at that point with hotels and restaurants and grocery stores and mercantiles and things like that did i answer your question oh yes absolutely absolutely so in your documentary cornelia a train town Tell us about the the scope of the project. Are you focused on a particular time period? And tell us about, yeah, I guess the, the scope of the project. 
Sure. So uh, we started out, we were just going to talk about the significance of the depot itself, but we didn't realize how deep the history ran on that. And we ended up going all the way back to 1870 to start to tell this story. That first depot came along in 1887, but uh, if that depot could talk, the stories it could tell. And so as we talked to one person that knew history, uh, inevitably they would leave us by saying, but you know who you should really talk to? And so that led to another and another, and 40 people were involved in this discussion. They helped tell the story about the history of Cornelia and uh, what happened on those tracks. Uh, so we get into the history of the Tallulah Falls Railroad and the Southern Railway, and we talk about films that were produced there. I climbed the highest mountain in 1951, the Great Locomotive Chase in 1956. Disney himself came down here and walked around. And, uh, and then we talk about art and music that was inspired by these tracks. Artists like John Colick and Tom Newborn and Linda Anderson all painted the depot and images around it. And then from Little Big Town, if you know Kimberly Blamblett Schlappman, she's a part of it and she just talks about how inspiring living by those train tracks was for her country music career. Oh, wow. So it's really touched the lives of uh, not only the, the folks who utilized the rail line in its early days, but to, to this day. So I would imagine that a small town in Northeast Georgia getting a rail line is going to be a big deal to the people living there. But what did it take to actually get the funding for something like that, to get the workers? I mean, this must have been a big project. It was. And in fact, the Georgia General Assembly, you'd have to go all the way back to 1854. And that's when they approved uh, the work to be done. And then the Civil War came along and disrupted it all. But when things came back after the Civil War, they picked right up where they left off. So this first train line started actually in Athens, where you're living, and it made its way to Lula in 1876. September 1st, 1876 was the first travel from Athens to Lula, and that was successful. And it was so successful, Rufus Moss, one of the um, people that was very instrumental in getting that going, uh, because he had a lot of industry that he wanted to move his product he lived in Athens. So he, uh, he was instrumental in pushing the Georgia General Assembly to keep going. And so they moved the line all the way up to, it's called Raven Gap Junction at that time. And it's called that because the ultimate destination, according to the General Assembly, was going to be Raven Gap, a town up there. So this was the junction where those two trains met, where you could get off of one line and take your way up to Raven Gap. So this town, before it was called Cornelia, was called Raven Gap Junction. And uh, eventually, an attorney named Pope Barrow came along, and he was instrumental in getting things into Cornelia, such as that first depot. And the people were so appreciative for his help that they named the town after his wife, Cornelia. Wow, yeah, I, you know, that it, it didn't even dawn on me that it would have uh, such a direct connection uh, to the name. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So the people who you mentioned that like people who are trying to get their products to the wider masses are utilizing the trains. I would imagine that people are also using them for passenger rail too. Is that correct? Like who were, who were the people utilizing these trains the most? Right. So in the beginning, okay. So as that 
short line railway came along in, in 1882, it made its way to a town called Tallulah Falls. And uh, Rufus Moss, whom I also mentioned, he was considered the father of that town. And um, that became a huge tourism boom. So I was, people went originally to that Monterey Hotel. Well, Tallulah Falls was called the Niagara Falls of the South. And as you approached it on the train back then, you could hear it from a mile away. You could hear the falls. Now, once uh, Georgia Power came along and started damming it up in 1910, you couldn't hear it as, as much. And, and it started to fade in terms of a tourism uh, destination. But for a long time, people from Atlanta and other parts were flocking to Tallulah Falls because it's cool atmosphere and uh, it was just an enjoyable place to be. So tourism is a big part of it. But as you mentioned, a freight was also another large part of it, getting products from uh, one part to another. Now, this short line stretched from the mile marker zero was Cornelia, and mile marker 21 was Tallulah Falls. Eventually, it went to Franklin, North Carolina, 58 miles total. But you could put freight on this uh, short line, and when you got to Cornelia, you could put it onto the, the longer line train, Southern Railway, and it would go all the way to Washington, D.C. or over to New Orleans if you wanted it to. So you could really take your product far at that point. Wow. And I, I'm sure that would be a huge boon for the, the local merchants there, I would imagine. So that's right. quite a big connection to be uh, to be connected to big Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah, small Cornelia. So I'm curious, you've, you've done, you said that there were over about 40 people involved in this documentary. You've interviewed folks. I mean... When you started out with this project, I'm sure you had an idea of what those interviews would entail, but I'm, I'm kind of curious about the more surprising details that you learned along the way. Um, through these interviews and your research, what did you learn that you didn't already know? I didn't know that the depot that I, in the town where I live was slated to be demolished. I didn't know that. The fact that we have it here and I think the biggest takeaway, if you go and watch this film at the end of it, is how appreciative people who live here can be that it's still here and that it's in great shape. So what happened is it became a liability at some point for Southern Railway, and they just wanted to be done with it. But as luck would have it, uh, somebody living here caught wind of that. A relative who was working in Southern Railway called down and said, hey, you might want to know. And they took action. And... Um, talked to Southern Railway and Southern Railway made a deal. Um, they said, we'll give you the depot. It's our land. Uh, well, we'll not give, they'll, they'll lease it to us. But uh, it was in very poor shape, but uh, through a lot of uh, ground groundwork um, and fundraising, it, it's a beautiful place where there's a railroad museum inside. And it really is the heart of the community. People go there to meet and and you can see in the documentary, I, I featured people who have uh, bridesmaids meeting there and prom dates and uh, just uh, happy occasions that are found there. People meeting there for uh, all sorts of uh, life celebrations. Wow. And to think that, yeah, that, that it could have not been there. And it's such a essential part of the, the culture of the community, probably something that's very iconic for Cornelia. So I'm glad to hear that it was preserved and that it, it really took a, a one, or, one or a couple of people, you know, to, to really make that happen. It really just goes to show anyone can help uh, preserve local history. So 
I, I don't want to give away too much about the documentary because we do want people to uh, obviously go see it. Now, people can see this documentary uh, Saturday, September 17th from 6 to 8 p.m. And then there's also another showing on Saturday, October 15th, uh, 2 to 4 p.m. So, Peter, for folks who are in the area and can come see this live and in person, um, tell us about where it's going to take place and any other information they should be aware of. Sure. It's called The Common Ground. It's a meeting place, and it's actually right across the street from the Cornelia Depot. So if you can use the Cornelia Depot as the a marker, then all you have to do is cross the street, and uh, it's on the right side of the street. Perfect, perfect. So I'm curious about the production of the documentary itself. Is this the, the first documentary project that uh, Habersham Education and Research has taken on? I'm just curious to know about the, the entire process. I'm sure there was a lot to learn that was hands-on. Yes, uh, this represents uh, 700 hours and a year's worth of time uh, to come to fruition. And uh, we learned a lot in the process. It's amazing. You don't have an appreciation. If you're just watching a documentary, you're in entertainment mode. You're just absorbing information. But when you're producing it, you don't realize that it takes so long to make so little. For example, it takes me a half hour to set up the equipment before anybody says a word. And then we have a little talk before we start. And then I go ahead and begin recording. And they might talk for 10 minutes. And then another half hour to break down the equipment and then come home and then upload their stuff and start editing. So it may take me five hours to get 30 seconds of good content. Oh, that's an excellent example of, yeah, just, just the amount of effort it takes uh, to create this kind of project. And I'm very excited to, to see all of those 700, those hundreds of hours come to fruition. And I'm sure that uh, a lot of people are going to appreciate this. Now, is there a way for folks to see this online at any point? There will be. Right now, we wanted to give two public viewings first and then we are going to go ahead and post it on YouTube so that anybody interested in seeing the documentary will be able to do so from the comfort of their own home anywhere in the world. And we're excited about that. Wonderful. And uh, we're happy to update our podcast description once that link is available, folks. And we'll be happy to share that on our uh, social media as well. Thank you. So I'm also interested in learning more about the other projects that have gone on at Habersham uh, Education and Research. This is a big project. Now, can you tell us about maybe some of the other projects that aren't in documentary form, but how do, how do you preserve Habersham's history? Thanks for asking. Uh, there are three other projects that we work on right now. One of them is called our Hey Habersham podcast. So it's an easy way for people to hear inspiring stories told by people right here in our community. And uh, we always want people to be able to see the struggles and successes that other people in the community have had, because these are people that you can know and you can relate to. And uh, I, we think that it's always important to know where you come from. Another one is called our Historic Video Project. And we go into people's homes who've lived here for a long time, long time residences, and they tell the stories of the way things used to be and the experiences they've had living in Habersham County. One example is a woman named Sue, Sue Payne Smith, and she was the postmaster for Mount Airy for 21 years. And uh, so, I mean, talk about seeing history and living the history, and she's lived there a long, long time. 
she sat down with us and shared her stories. Another one, and people outside of uh, Habersham will even know this name, he's Cliff Kimsey Jr. And he's a legendary UGA football player, played with Frank Sinkwich and went to the Orange Bowl in 1944. And um, he sat down and talked to us about being a UGA football player, but then he became the bank president. And he was also a charter member of our Kiwanis Club that started in 1925 here. So, so much history that we don't want lost. And so we record that and they'll be shared in our archives, which is what I want to talk about next. Our most groundbreaking um, project yet. We do so much extensive research. People reach out to us and ask to help find their family's lineage information, history, events, things like that. And we used to go to the library and look through these bound newspapers to try and find the information. It's very slow and tedious work. And we thought there has to be a better way. So we built it. Uh, we, uh, from 1857 through 1930 right now, we have every newspaper that was published in Haversham County digitized and uh, indexed. And so now you can go to the web and uh, type in keyword search and it will bring up newspapers for you to view. And those newspapers are also searchable. So you can search within your search you can highlight it. You can copy and paste. It's, uh, it's exceeded even our own expectations in terms of being able to do historical research, but there's more. After the newspapers, we decided, well, why, why won't we add pictures, photos, books, journals, yearbooks, memoirs, and then we can link these videos too. So it's going to be one-stop shopping in terms of being able to go to a spot if you like Habersham's history and find something out. That's really incredible because I know that a lot of local historical societies, you know, they're, a lot of them are volunteer run. They might not have the kind of resources or the know-how for the more technical projects, but it seems like that y'all really know what you're doing. Uh, you got a podcast, you've got YouTube videos, you've got this really cool newspaper archive. And the fact that you also are a resource for your local community to do genealogical research I mean, there's a lot going on. Can you talk to me about what the team is like there? I mean, who are the, <laughs> is this a, you said it's a one-stop shop. Is this also a one-man show? <laughs> who else is helping out? It is a one-man show, yes. Um, I work, uh, my day job is I'm a software engineer for Georgia Tech. And so those skills lend handily to being able to do things like websites and put together um, so I wrote all the software to read in the metadata from the digitized files and to push them onto the web and, and make the web page so that it's searchable and that you can make easy use of it. Um, so those skills, they're handy sometimes. But to get back to your point about being able to find volunteers, and that's exactly what we were trying to avoid is people hitting a brick wall when it comes to short hours of availability, you know, instead of only being open 10 to 2 once a, once a week on a Saturday, if you can find a docent. We're 100% digital, so anytime you want to know something, you'll be able to find it 24 hours a day. That's really an amazing resource. And, and for folks that are in the area and want to become involved with preserving local history, are there any upcoming opportunities for them? So many. Yes, absolutely. We're looking, we're always looking for people who would like to help. And it, depending on your skill level, we have all kinds of uses for a graphic designer or 
somebody who's good at the web. If they want to help us with the video documentaries, uh, we need people who can do all kinds of, if they have skills with video, then we can use them. But even if you just want to sit down and help edit some of the metadata, that, that's pretty easy work. Uh, you're just comparing actual text on a newspaper to some text that's in a file. And, and, if, and if not that, we can always use help, like for example, at, at the event, just uh, someone to help us set up. That sounds excellent. I mean, it's a great way for folks to learn new skills, to apply the skills they already have to help preserve local history. Peter, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners that we haven't talked about? I would just like to say that the biggest thing that people can do to help us is to help us spread the word. We're very small. And as a result, when we say something, it doesn't go very far. And what our biggest fear is, is that all the efforts that we make to help preserve history People don't even know about it. And I'll give you an example. I just was at a city council meeting last night, town of Clarksville, and I presented to them. And at the end of it, the, the mayor said, I had no idea you guys were doing that. Exactly. So it really helps that. I mean, we're, we're so happy that our listeners are going to learn about this documentary as well as our other projects. So listeners do check out this uh, documentary. If you're not in the area, again, we'll have that YouTube link um, in the description once it's released. Check out the Hey Habersham podcast. I am very uh, excited to check that out and hear those local stories from Habersham residents. And we'll also have a link to the uh, Habersham Education and Research website and the newspaper project as well, if you're interested in checking that out. Peter, it has been a joy to speak with you today. And thank you so much for all of your efforts in preserving local history. And I very much look forward to checking out Cornelia, a train town soon. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on the program and share the information that we have available to listeners. And uh, we really look forward to people enjoying what we have to offer. One of our other projects is called the Virtual Veterans Wall of Honor, and it's modeled after the Veterans Wall of Honor that's here in Cornelia. 6,500 names down there, 6,500 names carved in, in granite, but it's very limited in terms of being able to learn about those people. And as a person that loves history, I wanted to know where those people came from, what wars they were in, et cetera. And so with technology, you know, we can do that. So I built a fully interactive website where people can go and read about uh, veterans and, and see them on the wall. Uh, so there's a picture of them along with a biography. And if they're uh, passed away, there's a link to their obituary. But when you, when you click on it, you know, you get an enlarged view and you can really get an appreciation for what that person went through to protect our freedom. And uh, that's our commitment to uh, honoring have veterans in Habersham County. That's a great project. It's uh, It reminds me of our uh, American Freedom Garden here that uh, also commemorates veterans of the 20th and 21st century. And and you're right. I mean, there are there's something that's very, you know, it resonates with you to see these beautiful monuments to the veterans, but you still have that curiosity of, I see these names, uh, I see what wars they were in. There's only so much information you can gather from that, but to really know the more personal details uh, and those human experiences, that's such a such a gift as part of this project. So that's excellent. Well, Peter, uh, yeah, stay in touch. I, I look forward to seeing the documentary, whether it's in October at the premiere or I'll certainly share, uh, share it online and watch it that way too. So uh, let us know if there's any other uh, ideas you've, you've got in the future, but uh, this was a pleasure speaking with you. Well, likewise. Thank you so much and have a great day.
You too. Take care. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.